Hello, podcast community and those that listen online. This is Pastor John. We don't typically do this, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to join our release campaign. It's a capital campaign that we are running to raise money for some much-needed upgrades uh, to our campus, and it will allow us to have an even bigger impact in our community. So if you want to partner with us, you can give online by going to livingspring.com, or you're already there if you're listening to this, and clicking on the online donation link. You can give to the campaign or just give a general gift to our ministry if you find it a blessing to you. Thanks for partnering with us. So we're talking about inviting, right? Pastor Bob said, hey, December 2nd, we're going to invite some people, you know, think about who you can invite. And for some of you, that just put a pit in the middle of your stomach, like, oh, oh, he's not asking us to invite people. That makes me uncomfortable. And if you're like me, you probably are. I would get uncomfortable too. As a, as a matter of fact, um, what, what you end up going through is you start thinking about this person and then church and what it would look like for that person to be in church. And like, now do I all of a sudden even like my church? I don't know. I mean, it's just all that tension. And I'll tell you how this played out for me last week. Uh, last week, I, I have a friend. Uh, she's about 42 years old, doesn't believe in God never followed God, nothing. And she's just going through some really serious problems in her life right now. And so she decided, she said, you know what? She, she, because I'm a pastor, now everyone who I used to know calls me up. So she calls me up and she says, you know, my life's a wreck. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, trying to get in touch with God or whatever. I think I might just come to your church this week. And so I'm like, oh man, this week is not a good week. (laughs) Because we got the capital campaign, and then she's going to come and think it's all about money, and then it's like, oh, I knew it, you know, and then all this years without believing in God, and then she gets here, and what is it about? Money, I knew it, and, you know, I don't have a toupee, but she probably thinks I'm going to buy one, and it's kind of all the stereotypes of pastors and ministry and all that kind of stuff, you know, you, and so I, so I said this, I'm a pastor, and I said this, yeah, this Sunday's probably not a good Sunday, you know, like, she's crying. I'm like, you know, December 2nd would be a good Sunday. Because I knew this Sunday I'd be talking to Christians about inviting people, and that wouldn't be good. So listen, my point is this. I know what it's like when you think about inviting people. It's uncomfortable. It gets to be a pain in the neck. And you start to think about it. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. What if we could think of this entirely different What if you could begin to think of, instead of inviting someone to church, instead of inviting someone to something, you're inviting them into a glimpse of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's something else you got going. What does it look like to invite? But see, all of us have had to invite somebody to something or we've been invited to something and we've had to manage this tension of like this event is really, really important and I don't know if this person is really that important or maybe the person's too important or whatever. So you've all, anyone who's married had this challenge when you had to decide who you were going to invite to the wedding because weddings are expensive and you're like, well, man, I don't really want them to eat anything because that's... (laughs) Like $5 a plate or whatever. I mean, that's what ours was, you know, back in the day. 
Um, and, and so you, you've had this problem where you're, you're like, man, this is really an important event, and I don't know. And then you start thinking about, well, if so-and-so's there, I don't know if we should invite so-and-so. This, this played out for me um, a few weeks ago. I was coaching three couples that were all going to get married. One couple doesn't attend our church, and so... Uh, we were just talking about kind of what it means to be married and what to look out for and all this kind of stuff. And we just got on the topic of the, of the, of the um, ceremony. And she was talking about her parents, which uh, are estranged and, and strange, uh, as she described them. And so she was trying to decide if she should invite her mom or not, okay, to her wedding. I mean, so you could just picture like just the... And I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. I don't know. I don't want to micromanage your life, but it's having your mom there is kind of important. And so this is what they said as a couple in my office. Again, they don't attend church here, so don't be looking around trying to figure out who I am. They said, oh, you know what? The event, the place says we have to have security so we can invite your mom. Security. Yeah, I don't know how jacked up your family is, okay? <laughs> At least mine doesn't need security when half of them show up. So, but this is the problem when you're thinking about invitations. You have an event that's important to you or something's important to you. Maybe it's your faith. It's like super important to you. And when it comes to, well, now I've got to invite someone. Ah, I don't know. I heard this person say they didn't like this, and I don't. And there's, there's, that, there, there's that tension that happens when you think about invitations. But here's the other thing I know about invitations. Sometimes one invitation can change somebody's life forever. And you've probably experienced that, good or bad. You might have been invited to a party and you wish, you look back in your life and you wish you never, ever, 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 ever went to that party. That party was started something in your life that you wish never started. The, the reverse is true. You might get invited to an event and that's where you met your spouse. That's where you met your best friend. That's where, because you were invited. What does it mean to be invited to church? What does it mean to invite people into your relationship with Jesus Christ. What I want to do this morning is look at, uh, at a section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing um, a letter to a church, and he gets into this, you know, we've divided it now into chapters and verses, but they weren't there before. And he was in this section of the letter where he's kind of talking about what it means to live this life, to be just in the flesh and bones and people and relationships and all this kind of thing. And so, He's writing to the church, and he starts talking about how we're all in these earthly tents. And, and again, you know, for us, we think, well, you know, I don't know if I describe myself as a tent, but the idea is that it's temporary. And so he's talking to, to this church about, man, we're in this temporary thing, and someday we're going to have a building that's permanent, we would call it maybe our glorified body or you'd call it just kind of like when you get to heaven or whatever, but it's no longer this flesh and bones. And so he's talking about the fact that uh, in, in this flesh and bone type thing, we kind of groan and we long and we ache. And you know, some of, some of us are like, yeah, I know exactly what Paul's talking about. I sneezed this morning and now I need back surgery or whatever, however your body's kind of 
deteriorating. Uh, and, and so we kind of look at that and we go, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so Paul's talking about this and he, and he gets into this topic and then he, he makes this uh, statement about being, this weird thing about being in flesh and bones, but thinking about something eternal. In our church, we call it the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. We stole it from the Bible, but I mean, we, we talk in terms of the kingdom of the earth, the kingdom of this world, what we see, what we can taste and smell and touch, and, and then the kingdom of heaven, which is invisible and eternal and kind of beyond our imagination. This is what Paul's talking about. So here, here's what he says. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, as long as we're right here, we are away from the Lord. Then he just makes this unbelievable statement. For we live by faith, not by sight. And I think that's the beginning of why it's difficult to invite people into our faith because you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't prove it. And, and if we're around smart people, thinking people, not, you know, people who kind of think in terms of, well, I don't really know. Can you blame them? I mean, you're kind of like, man, I have this great relationship with Jesus. Like, oh, really? Like, Jesus, yeah, I know, it's awesome. He's changed my life. Oh, okay, well, that's good for you. And that's what we hear often. Well, you, your faith is your faith. My faith is my faith. And if, as long as we don't talk about that or politics, everything's good to go. Well, watch what Paul says. He says, we live by faith and not by sight. And then here comes a statement that might make you a little uncomfortable. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And we've skipped a few verses here, just so you know. We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. I don't know about you, but that might make you uncomfortable. There's something about keeping my faith my faith that's kind of mine, that's, that's safe. The idea that I'd have to persuade others seems kind of like I've just joined Amway or Tupperware or some multi-level marketing thing. And p p p please forgive me if you're involved in those things. They're awesome. The, the TSP or whatever you do to clean on the walls, it's good stuff. I'm not making fun of all that. I'm just saying it seems kind of like a little bait and switch with persuade. Like I'll get to know you and ask you about your thing, but then I'm going to tell you about Jesus. What I want to do this morning is release you from that kind of thinking. That is not what Paul is talking about. But it is a responsibility as those who are followers of Jesus not to be silent about our faith, to extend invitations, and maybe it's not to church, maybe it's to something else. And so here's kind of verse 14 is where we're gonna really start to see the flow of what Paul is talking about. He says this, for Christ's love compels us. That, that word means it seizes us. And I don't know if you've ever had that sense. I had it this week while I was having my quiet time. Where I just was overwhelmed by the love of God in my life and just how he has redeemed me and strengthens me. And, you know, as I was looking at certain things that would normally make me anxious, I just had the love of God seize me. And this is what Paul's talking about. Because of that, because we've all experienced what it's like when you're sitting there and you go, you know what? I don't have to worry about this. My heavenly father's got it. Because of that, 
We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And that he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for, what's the word there? Themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. What Paul's beginning to do is he's beginning to describe the gospel. And the gospel's very simple. The gospel just means good news. The idea is this. We were all born in what we would call sin, right? We're all sinners. And we have no way to get into a relationship with God because he's perfect. And so we have this debt that we owe. We have this debt of our sin. And some of us can think back to certain times of our lives and go, oh yeah, I know the debt you're talking about. Uh, for other people, it's just like, yeah, I, just, I understand kind of my weakness, my frailty. I understand why I keep, even Paul said, I keep going to do the stuff I don't want to do and I'm not doing the stuff I want to do. Like we all understand that. We owed a debt. And that debt was paid by Jesus on the cross. And so this is where Paul's kind of, Bringing this all together, he says, man, this love of God compels us because we understand that Christ died once for all and we've all died. And if you've ever witnessed one of our baptisms back there, uh, that's what we say. We say you've died with Christ as they go underwater and then they don't hear what I'm saying because they're underwater. But we say, and then you raise to walk in newness of life. This is what Paul's talking about, that Christ's love holds us fast and it seizes us. And then he says this really fascinating, he has this fascinating idea of how this is going to manifest itself in, in the life of a follower of Jesus. And this is beginning to kind of get the idea that it's much more than just being reconciled to God. He says this, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, when I see you and I'm watching and I'm looking at my neighbor, I'm looking, I don't, I don't see it in terms of a worldly point of view. Now, this is difficult to wrap our heads around, but it, it would look like something like this. You know, I, I don't know what your job's like when you go there tomorrow. You might see your boss a certain way, and you might, you might not like your boss. She might or he might be very overbearing, and you're thinking to yourself, man, if I offend this person, oh, man, I might lose my career. I got to make sure they have me do all this kind of stuff and I better just do it. That's looking at your boss from a worldly point of view. If you go to school and you have someone in the locker next to you or you're in college or whatever and you've got a roommate or whatever and you think, oh, they're such a partier or whatever, that's looking at them from a worldly point of view. To remove that is to go, God is the supplier of all my needs. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. He's a father of lights where there's no shifting shadow. And whatever my boss decides or doesn't decide to do is irrelevant to me because my heavenly father takes care of me. And so now when I look at my boss, I see, are they broken? Are they needy? What's happened to them that they're at this particular spot? I don't look at them as like now a ticket to advancement. I look at them as a person. Someone who does or does not have a relationship with Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says, when that love of God seizes me, look, when I understand that Christ died for all, I don't look at anybody the same anymore. And this is the beginning of what it means to invite someone into your faith. You're not thinking of them in worldly terms anymore. Like, oh, they're going to be so angry. Oh, they don't like this. Oh, they're a Republican. Oh, they're a Democrat. They're a, it's, no, they're a person. 
And so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What would your life look like if you didn't look at your neighbor from a worldly point of view? I have a neighbor. Uh, they're not in church here today, so I can say this, but I think they should be arrested on like a weekly basis. I don't know what's going on in the house, but I'm fairly certain they could arrest the entire neighborhood for whatever is going on in there. That's from a worldly point of view and from some things I've seen from my worldly point of view. But how do, and so I think in terms of I ain't ever going over there and sharing Jesus with that dude. He's crazy. Worldly. Paul says, let's get past that. If you're going to accomplish what Paul's going to write about in just a few more verses, we have got to get past that, that idea that we look from this worldly point of view. So he says, we don't do that anymore. And then he kind of talks about what we see with each other, for those who are followers of Jesus. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. And the new is here. Like, in other words, Paul's saying, we've seen this in ourselves we look at each other differently now that we've all come to Christ. Like we see the redemptive work that's happened. Now what if I begin to look at my neighbor not so much for who he is, but who he may become if Christ rushes into his home and changes him. Now I almost feel embarrassed for thinking that he should be arrested. Now I'm like, oh Lord, help me. Help me to see with your eyes. We sang a song, break my heart for what's, or we will sing it. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I let that cat out of the bag. Uh, you know, like, like, let me see with your eyes. Let me have your heart. And we see it with each other, man. I mean, don't, don't we think about this for ourselves? I'm a new creature in Christ. Man, from who I was to who I am now, Paul's saying, that's what I want you to do, but I want you to do it earlier, Okay. So he goes on, and he says this, all, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, we love that, being reconciled to Christ. That's, I mean, we'd all raise our hands and go, yes, I'm reconciled to Christ. But then Paul gives this zinger afterwards that when I was just looking at this verse, I thought, man, that is it. It's not just about being saved. It's not just about, oh, good, I'm set free from my chains. Thank you, Lord. God died on the cross for me. I get it. Thank you, Jesus. It's not all about that. The verse goes on. And it's kind of sobering what it says. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When we were reconciled to God, he said, great, welcome to the family. Now, here's your ministry. It's a ministry of reconciliation. It's not a ministry of just, oh man, I'm so happy I'm saved. There's something else. And it kind of goes back to where Paul was saying, I want to persuade others. And then there's this tension in the middle of it that says, I don't want a ministry of reconciliation. I don't want to bother people. I don't want to be that guy with the bullhorn and the sandwich board and be crazy and wear a giant wig and have John 360. I don't want to be that guy. Watch what happens. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That is the ministry of reconciliation. We go with an understanding that God can reconcile anyone to himself and not count their sins against them. That word reconcile means to make right. It's to, it's to make the accounts match up. If you've ever, anyone who's had a bank account and at the end of the month, the bank statement says you have $4.57 in it, and then you look at your Quicken or your, if you do it by hand, and you go, mine says $400, what's going on? Until that matches, it's been, you, you haven't reconciled the bank account. The same goes with our, our sin. We have this debt that has to be paid, and God looks down and he goes, you owe me an eternity. How are you gonna pay? And all the ministry of reconciliation says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he says, your debt's been paid. That's the ministry. Now watch, it goes on. It's not just the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That message of you were dead in your sin. God wants to have a relationship with you. God loves you. He wants you to live the way he designed you to live. So the whole thing kind of looks like this together. All these verses. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ not counting people's sins against them and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. There's a ministry that we have right when we're saved. It's a ministry of reconciliation. So let me ask you, how's your ministry? How's it going? Not how's your faith, not how's your sin management, like, oh, well, I only lied twice this week. That's all about relationship with God. How's your ministry going? The ministry that God has placed upon you by default, once you get into a relationship with him, once the love of Christ has seized you and you go, I'm free, and God says, Okay, go get them now. Go share that. See, persuasion is a little different when you think of it in terms of that. When you think in terms of kind of like finding the cure of, for cancer or something where you're, all you're doing is just sharing. It, really, what you're inviting them to is not a religion, not to a church, not to hear somebody speak, not to hear like the awesome couple sing worship together. It's not that. You're inviting them into your faith to get a glimpse of what it looks like with someone who's been reconciled to God. And so your invitation might not be December 2nd. You're like, oh, phew, right? It might be just extending your reach a little bit in your work and just noticing someone who's hurting and go, can I pray for you? And then praying for them and then following up. Let me, let me kind of show you. We've talked about this. We talked about it a year ago. We did a whole sermon on it. But this is what the ministry of reconciliation looks like um, for people at this church. We invest in people. And we do that by getting to know them. It might be a neighbor that you just walk across the, um, the driveway to and just start talking to him about his hedger or whatever. And you know, we invest in people. You might have someone at work that you're talking to that you're just getting to know. You're trying to find out how, how, did you, how did you meet as a couple or whatever. You invest in their lives. And then at some point, you invite them 
to see a glimpse of your faith. And so it, it might be, like, for example, we have a next-door neighbor who we love. She's awesome. She comes to church here once a year. It's for Toys for Tots. That's, we invited her. She loves Toys for Tots. She talks to us all year long about Toys for Tots. When is it? And she talks to her kids, and her kids donate. Now her kids donate clothes to our food ministry. But it's just an invitation. She loves it. She can't wait to be here. She, she changed her vacation this year so that she could go to Toys for Tots. That's my one neighbor. She promises every year she's going to come on Easter and never does. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just inviting. I, I don't have to win. It's not like I, I have to, like if, in, the minute she raises her hand in the back, I'm done. Like, yay, you know, another set. You know, we ring a bell. Ding, 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 ding. We got another one. It has nothing to do with that. We invest in people's lives. At the appropriate time, as the Holy Spirit moves you, you invite them to some part of your faith, however that might look. And then we include them when we're here, when they're here. And so that means that part of our ministry of reconciliation is that you may be a Democrat and you're sitting next to a Republican in church during election season. And you got your Obama shirt and it's like a big O and he's got his Romney double R thing or whatever. I think Obama had a better logo. I'm just saying, I, you know, whatever you believe, but I think his graphics were better. That's how I vote, based on graphics. <laughs> no. No, but that they're here. They might be a different color than you. They might be a different socioeconomic status than you. They, they might be older than you, younger than you. That you, We include them. You might have a Bible study you've been doing for 14 years of the same people over and over and over and over and over again, and all of a sudden someone new comes in. The ministry of reconciliation says include them. Bring them on in. We want to include as many people as we possibly can because we want our church to be the largest church in America. No, of course not. We want more people to enter into a real, radical relationship with Jesus that changes their life forever. That one invitation to see a glimpse of your faith might radically change them. Now, here's the thing. So, some of us, we're good investors. That just comes naturally. We're people, you know, we like to hear about people's lives and all that kind of stuff. The thought of inviting just freaks us out. Others are super big inviters. You'll just go out and start inviting. We have a lady in our church that she invites more people to church than we could have here at church if they all came. She's just out there inviting, inviting. She, she can't invest because she's in a different life stage and all this kind of stuff. And then we have really great includers here. God calls us to be all three, but there's going to be some that you're naturally good at. Just do that. Again, how's your ministry going? Your ministry of reconciliation. How is it for you? Now watch what happens. Because God gives you a title You've been saved, you've been redeemed, everything's been reconciled. He gives you this message, this ministry of reconciliation. He gives you a message of reconciliation, and then he gives you a title. Did you know you had a title? You know, you have like a, um, an appointment. You know, when the president gets in, he appoints cabinet members. He's appointed you, and this is what he's given you, the title. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now, for some of you, that might be kind of scary because the word ambassador, you just know in your heart means 
you're going to have to put it out there. We, we don't send an ambassador to Egypt and tell him, now look, don't tell anybody you're from America, okay? We just want you to go get a job and just hang out there, right? They call those sleeper cells, okay? Not ambassadors. Ambassadors raise the flag up and go, hey, everybody, I'm here representing America. What I do represents, what I say, I speak on behalf of this country, on behalf of this. And so when you get the title ambassador, some of you are sitting there going, I don't want to be an ambassador. I'd rather be in a sleeper cell. But here's what God says in this next sentence that's just, it, it just takes you off guard. As though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, the God of the universe, the God that created you and I, that sent his son to die for us, he in his infinite mind, the best, he thought, you know, what would be a good way for me to get the word out? Should I make a giant fireball in the sky? Should I take over DirecTV and make all the channels just my channel? Like what would be the best way to get the word out that you can have a relationship with God? I know. I'll use people who've been redeemed, who truly understand what it means to have this tent that becomes a building. Knows what it's like to be living week to week, just wondering, man, how am I going to get through life? And they're set free. I'll use those people as my mouthpiece. What a unbelievably heavy responsibility that is. I, again, I don't mean to bum you out, but this is the fact of the matter. We're Christ's ambassadors. <laughs> now again, how we raise the flag, how we get the word out, and how we invite people into our faith is going to come with how God described, uh, how God created us, with certain gifts, certain strengths, certain, you know, um, experiences that we've had. And so you, you may look, yours, your ministry of reconciliation might look radically different than mine or than the person you're sitting next to. Your ministry of reconciliation might look different than your spouse's. But let me ask you this. How's your ministry going? For the way God's created you in light of this verse that stamps you with the stamp of ambassador, how's it going? <laughs> 